Amen. Lord, no, no truer words have ever been spoken that there's none like you. No one beside you, before you, after you, or close to you. And apart from you, we would have no hope. And so, Lord, I just thank you and praise you for your love, for your grace, for your infinite mercy. And, Lord, we pray right now as we go to your word that you would be our teacher, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Give us each one of us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight as you brought each of us here by divine appointment. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Great to see you. Turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. It's a blessing to see all of you here. I know we have a lot of our folks over at Baymont tonight. Baymont Christian School is having their Christmas program, so a whole lot of my youngest son is there, my wife is there having their Christmas program tonight, so that's a good thing. But I'm glad you guys are here. It's great to see you. Well, tonight, as we come to tonight's text, the book of Ruth, it's been a few weeks, I want to catch you up. We're going to see... Ruth giving instructions, getting instructions, I should say, from Naomi, and making preparations for a marriage to her Goel. What does Goel mean? Who remembers? Redeemer. Her kinsman redeemer. The word in Hebrew is Goel. Now what the world would see as an improbable journey is really uh, an incredibly divine appointment in the hand of God. Remember that this was, Ruth was a desperate woman So was Naomi. They were living in the land of the Moabites. They got there due to Elimelech and Naomi's rebellion. When there was famine in the land, they fled from the place God had for them, and they went to the place of the the pagan idolaters. And this is what can happen to Christians if we're not careful. When things get tough, instead of running to God, we can run from Him. And every time you do that, things are only going to get worse. And so they ran from the Lord instead of going to Him. They were there for at least ten years. During that time, their two sons got married to Moabite women. If you hang out with Moabites, your kids are going to marry Moabites. And so they were hanging out with the Moabites. Their kids married Moabites. And then Elimelech died and both of his sons died. And now you've got these three women left in Moab. And they're there amongst all these pagan idolaters. And Naomi has become bitter. Now in the meantime, they hear the word that that back in Bethlehem, the house of bread, they have bread. So they decide to leave Moab and go home. But even though in going home, Naomi's motivation isn't really the best. She's not going back because she's convicted by God. She's not going back because she realizes they're out of God's will. She goes back because she hears there's bread there. Be like someone coming back to church because they hear they got agape feast on Sunday. So I think I'll show up, you know. Now again, if that's why people come, God bless them. I'm glad they're here. But Naomi went back for the wrong motivation, but she went back nonetheless. And when she got back, the people saw her. And they said, is that you, Naomi? Her name meaning pleasant. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Call me bitter. Nice lady, okay? And so in the midst of all of that, though, remember that the two girls, Orpah and Ruth, she told them to stay there in the land of the Moabites and go find themselves a a Moabite husband. Now this, again, shows where Naomi's coming from. Because if she's telling them, go find yourself an unsafe pagan husband and stay here. Instead of coming back with me to God's people. Now again, that shows that we're not where we need to be when we're pushing people away from God instead of drawing people to Him. But we know that, praise God for Ruth, that even though Orpah kissed her and left, that Ruth clinged to her. Remember we talked about the three ways we can respond in times of difficulty. And we know that it was Naomi who got bitter. And we know that Orpah left But she clung to the Lord, clung to to Naomi, and in in a sense clung to the Lord and said, your God will be my God and my God. And she said, I want to serve and I want to follow your God and I'm going to go with you wherever you go. And she knew that that meant probably, at least in her mind, she would never be married. Because who in the world would want a Moabite pagan woman who's been married and her husband has died that comes into the land of Israel? She's a foreigner. She's a pagan idolater from her background. Who in the world would want her? But she was willing to go. Then we saw in the first two chapters that not only did she go with her, but then we saw Ruth's character. And that even though Naomi was bitter, Ruth went out and started gleaning in the fields. And here's where we see the divine hand of Almighty God at work. Because the truth is that God had a plan for Ruth all along. Just like God has had a plan for your life all along. 
And God always has, and God always knew where you were going to be. And God can even use the ungodly circumstances in your life to bring about a godly result. Because what did he do? He brought these, even though they were in rebellion, he allowed them to come to the very place where Ruth would be. Now, he did not you know, promote their rebellion, but in the midst of their rebellion, he allowed Ruth to meet them. Then he allowed Ruth to see, even in the midst of Naomi's bitterness, that there was something about her and the God that she served that she wanted to have a part of. And then she went back with, with her, and then she went out gleaning in the field, and then just by chance, as it happens, it says in the text, she goes into the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And in the field of Boaz, whose name means standing in strength, Ruth means friend or friendly, and his name means standing in strength, she goes into his field and starts gleaning in the field, and Boaz shows up and sees her gleaning, and he's kind of liking what he sees. Because he says, now who's that? Hey, worker, who's, out? who's that? Oh, that's Ruth. And you know what? She's been working really hard all day. She, matter of fact, she took one short break and went inside. The rest of the time, she's been working really hard. You know what? Make sure that you let her glean right along beside it, wherever she wants to go. And matter of fact, knock off a big, you know, couple of big things of wheat her way you know just push it off the truck right in front of her across the you know just let it fall right in front of her let her have it you know i'd kind of like to bless her and then he invites her to lunch you know starts talking to her at lunch so boaz has kind of got a little thing for ruth but as we're going to find out she's a lot younger than him and i don't think he really believes that he has an opportunity to be with this young woman but he wants to bless her nonetheless well when ruth comes home and she comes home with a bunch of barley. Naomi says, what in the world happened to you today? I thought you might come home with, you know, a handful if we were fortunate, and you're coming home with a bucket full. What happened? Well, I met this man by the name of Boaz, and he told me to glean right with his women, and you know what? They knocked off some things right in front of me, and he fed me lunch. By the way, here's my leftovers from lunch. And we saw Naomi's attitude change immediately. She said, praise be to the Lord. All of a sudden, because she saw God's hand of blessing upon, upon Ruth, it impacted Naomi. Well, that brings us to chapter 3. And by the way, that's a great thing. When you're living for God and you're on fire for God and you have joy for the Lord, people can't help but notice it. Amen? Amen. They might not always like it, but they're going to notice it. And, and when they do notice it, while they might not like you initially, I promise you when things get tough, they'll be coming to talk to you. Amen? They said, people give me grief behind my back and call me all kinds of stuff. But then when someone in their family was sick or dying, it was amazing how they would show up at my cubicle asking for prayer. And praise God for that. You know, let us be known for that. Amen? Well, that brings us to chapter 3. And I want to say this. All the way through this book, we see some very clear pictures about our own redemption. You know, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is a picture of Christ. And Ruth is really a picture of us. This foreigner from a faraway land, from pagan idolatrous place, this woman who had, you know, from the world's perspective, at least there, no value, was not worthy, was not worth it, and yet this kinsman redeemer is going to redeem her. What's that a picture of? We're the ones who were outside of God's will. We were, you know, we were at enmity with God, and God loved us enough to send His Son to redeem us, to restore us unto Himself. Well, as we get to the chapter tonight, I titled the message, if you're a note-taker, The Wedding Day Approaches. And you know what? For us, we are already the bride of Christ, and we've already been grafted into His family and adopted into His family, where you know, we are His bride as we speak. But you know what? The ultimate wedding hasn't happened yet. The ultimate wedding is going to happen when the Lord comes back for us. And He takes us away and we go to rule and reign with Him forever. We're already His bride. But you know what? I can't wait to see our groom. How about you? I'm looking forward to that day more than anything else. And you know what? Tonight we're going to see a picture of that as we look at Ruth getting ready for this wedding. And again, it won't happen until next chapter, but in the preparations of it, as this wedding day approaches, we're going to see some very clear applications for things that we ought to be doing as our wedding day approaches. As we get closer to the time when the Lord is going to draw us back into Himself, may He come finding a bride that is busy about His work. And this is the same thing we see in the text. So if you're a note taker, I, I tell the message again, the wedding day approaches, living in light of Christ's imminent return number one we're going to see ruth preparing to meet her redeemer preparing to meet the redeemer is number one number two 
Ruth completely submitting to her Redeemer. Or you can say for us, completely submitting to our Redeemer. Number three, Ruth listens to her Redeemer. And you and I need to listen to our Redeemer. Fourth, she receives gifts from her Redeemer. We, and we too receive gifts from our Redeemer. And then lastly, Ruth patiently waits in anticipation of her Redeemer. And we need to do the same. Be waiting patiently, but while we're waiting, busy about His work. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at the wedding day approaches, living in light of Christ's soon or imminent return. Ruth preparing to meet her Redeemer. Look at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her. Now, having had a bitter heart before, it's now been restored by seeing God's hand, not only in providing for Ruth, but in the affection that Boaz is showing toward Ruth in providing for her, making a way for her to provide not only for herself, but also for Naomi. And through that, God's grace and kindness and provision has touched Naomi's heart. She's back moving toward being pleasant again from being bitter. And it says, after all this has happened, we know the last verse, the last chapter, it says that from that point forward, that she was to glean until the end of the harvest. Well, we're going to find out From tonight's text, the harvest is over, at least the barley harvest, which would have been about six weeks. So this has been about a six-week period of time where every day Ruth is getting up. She's going out into Boaz's field. Boaz is blessing her and giving her extra. And every day she's coming home with way more than they could possibly use and ministering to Naomi. And Naomi's seeing how Boaz, who she knows is a kinsman redeemer for her family, showing you know, favoritism and blessing toward Ruth. And as she's watching all of this, and I don't want to be to take this wrong, but like a good Jewish grandma, you know, she starts thinking, hey, you know, anybody see Fiddler on the Roof, right? Matchmaker, matchmaker, right? Well, you know, this woman starts thinking, hey, he's the kinsman redeemer. Ruth ain't got no husband. He seems to be kind of liking her a little bit. So maybe we can work something out here. Now, I know none of you would ever do anything like that. But look what it says here. My daughter, shall I seek security for you? Shall I seek security? Now, it's interesting, that word security in the Hebrew is the same word in Ruth 1, verse 9, which is the word rest, translated rest there. And this is what it says. Go return each of you to his mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of his husband. She had told him to go back to the, to the land of her own people and find rest in the hands of a pagan husband, something they never thought would happen in Israel. And now she uses that same word where she told him to go find rest in pagan idolatry. Now she says, do you want to find rest in the Redeemer? Can I find rest for you? Shall I go and make security for you? Shall I go make a match for you? That's really what she's saying. Naomi, bitter in rebellion, now instructs her daughter-in-law and is asking her for permission to go and find uh, a match for her or to make security for her, of course, all the while with Boaz in mind. Now what's interesting though again is that before she had told them to go back to their old way of life. You know, go back to your old way of life instead of coming with me to the Lord. And you know, this is a common response often today when people in rebellion against God, embittered by their consequences, try to find rest in something the world has to offer instead of seeking it in God. Instead of turning to the Lord in times of difficulty, just go back to your old way of life. By the way, how's that working out for you if you're doing that? Not too good, is it? I've never had anybody come into the office and go, yeah, I'm strung out on cocaine crack again, and you know, I'm really happy about it. Nobody's ever done, you know, I'm back drinking again. You know, hey, I'm back into pornography again. Hey, I'm back into overeating again. Hey, I'm back into this again. You know, I'm back into gambling online again. Hey, I'm back into doing this again. I'm just really glad I'm caught back up in my sin. I've never heard that one time, ever. And the truth is that that's kind of what you're saying. Go back to your old lifestyle. And there's an enemy that's telling you, come back to your old lifestyle. And isn't it amazing how we have a selective memory when it comes to sin? Don't we always remember, the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, but at the end it leads to death. And isn't it amazing how we look back on sinful behavior and we remember the pleasurable part, but never the consequences part? You remember the party, but never the hangover, right? You remember the drinking with your friends, but not wrapping your car around a pole? 
I mean, you remember those things, and this is the same thing. You know, go back and praise God that Ruth, as little as she knew about the God of Naomi, saw that there was something about the God of Naomi, and and came. And, and resisted that temptation to go back. Now they're among God's people. They're walking in God's will. And she asks permission. Instead of saying, go back to those foreign gods. Now she says, let's find rest in a man of God. Let's find it in the kinsman redeemer. Can I? It's okay if I have, make security for you. Notice the difference in Naomi. Now, instead of only being worried about her needs being taken care of, she wants to take care of Ruth's needs. It's amazing how Ruth was serving Naomi, and now Naomi wants to serve Ruth. And that's how it happens. When you have a servant's heart, and you're serving people, and you're ministering to them, it's amazing how God will do that. Now, I want you to notice, she said, can I go, may I, shall I seek security for you? Now, I know this is Pastor Davies, so forgive me, but she didn't say, you know, hey Ruth, you know, you're really a hottie, so why don't you go clubbing and find yourself a husband? That's not what she said. Why don't you go out and meet some guys and experience life and maybe you'll find a really good one. And then, you know, he can help take care of me too since I'm your mother-in-law. Why don't you go do that? By the way, dating, and this is Pastor Dave's opinion, but I'd like to have somebody give me an opinion contrary to this from Scripture. Dating is not biblical. It's not in the Bible. By the way, dating is less than 100 years old. I don't know if you knew that. But 150 years ago, people were not dating. You know what dating is? It's trial marriages that end in divorce. Every single time. Date 27 different people, have 27 different breakups, and all you've learned is how to break up 27 times, and you've never learned once how to make a relationship last. Is that true or not? And so the truth is that instead of us going out and trying to find a mate, doing things our way, going clubbing or going here or going on this and going on that and trying to find somebody, why don't we just serve God and wait upon Him and allow Him to bring us our mate? And you know what? It's hard to do that, isn't it? I've had parents tell me, can you really do that with your kids? It's not easy. And my kids have not always been thrilled about it either, I have to tell you. When I tell them, no, you can't go to that. No, no, boy, go party. No, you can't go. But everybody else, everybody but you is going. You're not going. <laughs> and you have to love your kids enough to be the parent sometimes, amen? And you know why? Because the end result is always worth it. My heart is I want to have kids who are 24 and 25 years old, who are kids of godly character, who have godly spouses, who have no regrets about all the mistakes they made because their dad let them go out and date a bunch of people. Nothing good happens when you're 15 and you're dating. Only bad things can happen, right? Especially if one of them is a guy because they're just a train wreck. I used to be one, I know, okay? So, here's the point. She didn't say, go find somebody in the world. Can I find security for you? Can I find security for you? You know, in India, it's, in, it's amazing. They have arranged marriage in India, and they have less than 2% divorce rate. We go out and do it our way, and most marriages end in divorce. It's our way not working out too well, is it? I, you know, as a dad, arranged marriage would be just fine with me. I'd be for it. I'd be for it. Why? Because I'd pick someone really good for my kids. You know what? I'd pick someone. You're getting someone godly. That's what you're getting, right? Amen? Instead of being caught up in the flesh, that whole thing, right? So Boaz is indeed God's man. Ruth, they'd spent time together. How'd they, how'd they get to know each other? In a group. That's a good lesson, isn't it? They got to know each other in a group. She was out there working. He saw her character from afar. She saw how he treated her. And it was in a group situation that they got to know each other. And it was a setting where they're each able to recognize the godly character in the other person. That's a great way for someone to find out about their spouse. Now it says, My daughter shall I seek security for you, that it may be well with you. By the way, a marriage ought to bring security and wellness. Amen? May I find security for you, that it may be well with you. And again, she's asking her, Shall I go and find you a husband? Verse 2. She doesn't keep any secrets. Now Boaz, she didn't say, I may mean, I find security for you. Now she's just going to tell him who it is. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Is he not our kinsman? Isn't he not someone who is near to us? Again, the word is goel. Now goel means kinsman redeemer. Now the kinsman redeemer had a specific uh, defined role in, an, in an Israel's family life. He didn't just have the responsibility to marry, uh, you know, the Leverite law where he had to marry a brother. Uh, you know, if your brother dies, leaving his wife without children, then it was the 
requirement that he would marry his brother's wife if he was not married yet and give her children and they would be in his brother's name to carry on the, pros- the, posterity, of the f- prosperity of the family. Now, what's interesting about that is, again, can you imagine, I've said this before, dinner at your house and somebody's bringing home their potential spouse. All the guys at the table are like, well, wait a minute, let me see. Because you know what? She might be mine. If, dude, and don't, you know, and if they don't like her much, dude, don't be walking on any cliffs. Don't be doing anything dangerous. You know, let me buy you a helmet for Christmas. Let me just watch over you, man, because I don't want anything bad happening to you because I get hurt. But not only was he having to take the wife, but also, if you remember from the uh, manslayer, do you remember the avenger of blood? Same guy. This is a big, big deal. Somebody in your family is killed. That person's job was to go out and wreak vengeance. So they had to be the one to go out and kill the person who had killed someone in your family unless they ran, remember? City of Refuge. And that was, again, a picture of us running to Christ, our refuge. And they had to stay there until the high priest died. So we're seeing here that the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, in this case, one of them is Boaz. But as we're going to find out as we read on, there's more than one. Now, part of the problem here was Elimelech had died, and both his sons had died, so his family name was not going to be carried on. At this point, Naomi is too old to have children, So the only way the posterity is going to go on is if Ruth gets married. So Ruth is the one that can carry on the name. So she says there, in fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So Ruth could appeal to Boaz, his kinsman redeemer, to to perpetuate the family name by taking her in marriage. And what I find interesting about this is I have an idea that Ruth at no time thought that she had any that this was going to happen at all. I truly believe, I could be all wrong, I'll find out when I get to heaven, but I truly believe that when Naomi brought this up, this is the first time Ruth has even thought it's a possibility. Why? She's a foreigner. Which, what good Israelite, what Jewish man is going to want to marry her? And by the way, she's a lot younger than Boaz, and he's a man of godly character. What would he want with her? This is probably her perspective. And then we see Naomi saying, he's one of our relatives. You know what? He's our kinsman. She's encouraging her from the Word of God because the Word of God is the one that established these laws. And again, Ruth probably felt unworthy. All, what is Ruth doing? Here's what I love about Ruth. All she's doing is simply serving. That's all she's doing. Here's where I am. Here's where I can honor God. I'm just going to serve Him right where I'm at. Expecting that ne- maybe nothing else would ever come of it. I'm going to be faithful where I am, and if I'm faithful where I am for the next 50 years... I'll do that. But you know where I find God shows up? is where people are just being faithful right where they are. He sees how faithful they are, how they're not worried about being promoted, how they're not worried about you know, other people noticing them. And those are the very people he tends to promote. Because they're the ones that he knows he can trust. If you're faithful in the small things, God will use you in the great things. She was simply serving. But now, and again, being without any accusation, and now God is going to do great things in her life. And Naomi is starting to care for Ruth as Ruth had been caring for her. And she encourages her from the word of God and starts to set things in motion. In fact, he's winnowing barley tonight. Now, what does that mean? Real quickly, in those days, what they would do is after they bring the harvest in, they would take it up to what is called a threshing floor. Tend to be a big round thing up on top of the hill and where they get the maximum amount of wind. And they would, that, that's where they would separate the wheat from the chaff. They would take the sheaves, they would break them into pieces, and then they would throw it in the air. And because the grain was heavier than the chaff, the grain would fall to the ground and the chaff would all blow away, separating the wheat from the chaff. Okay? That's a very biblical thing, as we know. And this usually took place in the evening because that's when the wind was at its fiercest. Now, those who would thresh their grain all day, you know, that evening, they would then take all their grain that they had, this is a year's worth of work typically, all this grain, they would have it piled up and they would sleep there where the grain was. Because remember, this is the time of the judges when everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes, which would mean stealing other people's year's worth of wages by going up and grabbing all their grain. Now, Naomi knows this. Boaz, huge you know, harvest. He's doing this up on top of the hill. And she thinks, hey, here's a chance to get them together. It's kind of like inviting them both over for coffee kind of thing, right? Neither one knows the other one's coming. Yeah, well, I'm inviting you for coffee. I'm inviting you. They both show up. What are you doing here? Well, there it is. 
Matchmaker, matchmaker. Well, Boaz has no idea this is going to happen. Then it says, now watch this. Watch the preparation that starts to take place. Because as we see her preparation to go and meet her Redeemer, these are preparations you and I ought to be making in anticipation of our Redeemer coming for us. Look what it says in verse 3. Therefore, wash yourself. Usually on a, if you're going on a date, that's a good thing to do. I want to wash. Then she says, I'll go through these in a minute. And anoint yourself and put on your best garment. Now, she not only says go to Boaz, but first prepare yourself for the meeting. Now, let me again go over some things that I think that we see that we ought to be as we are the bride of Christ. Ruth is the bride of the Redeemer. We're the bride of the Redeemer. And notice these clear instructions she gives to Ruth. Symbols for what you and I should do, not only to draw near to Christ here and now, but to prepare for His return. The first thing is, wash yourself. Now up to this point, Ruth was probably wearing what they called widow's reeds. A very plain and blah-looking outfit. And, you know, she's out gleaning in the field all day. Probably, you know, not looking like Queen Esther, okay? And she tells her, I want you to go and wash yourself. Now, what I love about that, Ruth washed herself in preparation of meeting her Redeemer. Today, you and I are washed by the water of the Word of God. We are, we are cleansed by the blood of the land, but we, we can, by the blood of the Lamb, but we continue to cleanse ourselves through the washing of the water of the Word of God. You know, we've repented of our sin, we've been born again, but don't we continue to repent? What's the answer? Don't we continue to come before God and grow in our relationship with Him? And you know what causes us to draw close to Him and to be uh, even more convicted about areas of our life, spending more time in His Word? Because as we get to know Him, we get to love Him more, and as we love Him more, we want to walk in the center of His will. And so in our preparation for His return, in our desire to walk closer to Him, just as she was to wash, so too we should wash with the water of the word. God has called us to pursue a sanctified life, and it's only possible as we're cleansed through his word. The Lord tells us that, that, that his word cleanses us. John 1 9 assures us that if we confess our sin and repent, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We as believers are to live lives as if the Lord is going to return any moment, and if knowing he's coming soon, we ought to be washing ourselves with the Word of God. Well, not only wash yourself, but anoint yourself. Now, anoint yourself. Oil, anointing, in this case, perfume. Again, if you're out, you know, working in the field all day and you've been wearing reeds, you know, a little after the shower, after bathing, uh, uh, the bath, you know, throwing a little perfume on would probably be a good thing, right? But for, that's the practical thing she's telling uh, Ruth to do to go meet her potential husband But for you and I, anoint in Scripture is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. Just as we're to be washed with the Word of God, we need to be filled with the Spirit of the living God. If we want to walk in closeness with the Lord, we need to be cleansed by His Word and filled with His Spirit. And if we want to be prepared to meet our Redeemer face to face as His bride one day, already born again, already going to heaven, if we want to be prepared to meet Him, then washing in the Word and being anointed by His Spirit is a great way of preparation. You know, when we're filled with the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit will be evident. He'll empower us to serve through the use of spiritual gifts. 1 Timothy, we just saw this a few weeks ago. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which is bestowed on you through prophetic utterance and the laying on of hands. And it says, you know, that's God's word, is that we not neglect the gifts He's given us and the empowering work, the empowering thing that gives us the ability to do the gifts is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also illuminates God's Word. Guys, the reason we can understand the Bible is the Holy Spirit. Amen? Aren't you amazed you read something and somebody doesn't know God and they're going, I don't see it. What do you mean you don't see it? Read that again. They read it. Yeah, I don't see it. Uh, This really fractures me with like uh, people that are devout Jews. You read Isaiah 53 to them. You ever read Isaiah 53? Is that Jesus all over that chapter or what? And they read it and they go, I don't see Jesus in that. You're like, you know why? Holy Spirit, amen? 
He is the one who illuminates the truth, and that's why we need to be empowered by the Spirit. If you don't understand God's Word when you read it, get more of the Holy Spirit in you, you'll understand it better. Amen? Ask God, illuminate the truth by your Holy Spirit. So not only wash, not only anoint, but put on your best garment. Now, get rid of those widow's reeds and put on a nice garment. That's what she's telling her. Now, what does that mean for us? You and I need to put off the deeds of the flesh and put on Christ. We need to lay down that old man, the old flesh, the old things that we were living in and put on the righteousness of Christ. Let's be clothed in righteousness, amen? So as we see here, if we want to be prepared for the return of our Redeemer, if we want to, you know, again, walk in closeness to Him while we're waiting for Him to return, we need to wash ourselves with the Word, be anointed with the Spirit, and again, put off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes, amen? Put off the old man and put on the new man that we are in Christ. It says in Romans, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. When we put on Christ, we make no provision for the flesh. Jesus said of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus said the greatest man who ever lived outside of himself was John the Baptist. Jesus said it, so that means it. Amen? And then John the Baptist said, less of me, more in him. I must decrease that he might increase. So if the greatest man who ever lived outside of Christ himself said, I've got to be less of me and more of him, if I've got to put off my grave clothes and be clothed in him, then that's true of every single one of us. Amen? So we see here the preparations taking place. And we need to put off anger and wrath and slander and filthy speech and put on the love of Christ. We need to put off the old things of the world and put on the full armor of God. And again, that's how we'll be prepared to meet our Savior. Now look what it says there after that. And go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now I love this. Ruth was not to come to him until his work was done. As soon as the work was done of the Redeemer and he was at rest, then she would come to him. When are we going to be joined to the groom? When his work is done in the church age, amen? When the church age work is done, that's when he's going to call us home. And what I love about this, it says when he's done eating and drinking. Now, eating and drinking, when did we become his bride? When did we become his bride? When we got saved, but when did the church in general become his bride? When did we have the ability to become his bride? At the cross, amen? Eating and drinking, the Lord's Supper, right? He ate, they ate the bread, they drank of the cup. And when the eating and drinking was over, what it symbolized, the cross of Calvary, his body being broken, that's when we could become his bride. And so he said, don't go to him until, you know, he is done with his work, till the eating, he's eating and drinking. And again, I believe, again, Pastor Day's opinion, I just see such a clear picture of Jesus in this whole thing, that again, that's when we come to him, when the work's been done, when the price has been paid, when those symbols have been fulfilled that all point to Christ. And again, sometimes people think, well, you, you could be over-spiritualizing that. Okay, if I am, I'll, I'll ask God for forgiveness when I get to heaven, but I'll say this, I don't believe anything's in the Bible by chance, amen? And he doesn't just throw words in there to fill up the page. Every jot, every tittle, every bit of it, there's a reason it's in there, and I love to find out why. So when we were known in his bride as after those symbols of that, you know, his blood and his body had been broken. Verse 4. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lives, and where he lies, excuse me, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. So he says, notice where he lies down. So she's supposed to come up there, wait till he's done, stay off at a distance. Notice where he goes in after he's, you know, this is a joyous harvest time. He goes in and he lays down to protect the grain from thieves. And as soon as you know how he's laying down, because it's going to be dark out. You know, back then they didn't have street lights, okay? So it's going to be dark out. He's up on top of a hill, so not a lot of light around. She even probably have to notice what direction he was lying in. So, so when she came in there in the darkness, she would know how to un- where his feet would be, how to uncover them, and then to lay down. You know what's interesting? She f- noted where he lied down. And I find that interesting that Mary, it says in Matthew, went to the tomb, right? Because she knew where they had laying her Savior, amen? 
And she went to the tomb and she found that he was no longer there. But again, isn't it amazing just the, the way the events lay out in this chapter, in my mind, all pointing again to the Savior. Savior. Now it says, uncover his feet and lie down. In the culture of that day, this was considered an act of total submission. The role of the servant in those days is they would sleep. The closest servant would sleep at the master's feet to be ready for any command at any moment. So Ruth's action was one of total submission, trust, and respect for Boaz. Now Boaz had no idea she was coming. And I believe he didn't expect it. But what I love about Ruth's action is it shows just her willingness to do what God had called her to do, her total submission to Naomi, and now her total submission to Boaz. Now, some men read this text and go, well, man, that'd be kind of nice. Wife who totally respected and loved and honored me. Many husbands wish they had a wife who submitted to them the way Ruth was being told to here. But you know what? Let me ask you a question. Were they provi- are they providing the kind of godly leadership, care, and concern that Boaz had been showing towards Ruth? It's a two-way street. It's amazing how, you know, he's been loving her and ministering to her with no thoughts of ever being married to her, I believe. And he's doing all this just as a godly man. And he's showing her love and care and provision. And so for her, it's easy to submit to a godly man like that. And I think the same is true. In a marriage relationship, many wives wish they had a husband who loved and cared and treated them the way Boaz did. But do they show the same kind of humble submission and respect that Ruth showed toward Boaz. Now, for you and I, what's the application here? Bowing at his feet, resting in him, fully submitting every aspect of our lives to the authority of God. She laid down at his feet, complete and total submission. Pastor Don, my pastor in San Jose, used to say, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. <laughs> I surrender all. Really? Sometimes we ought, if we sing truthfully, I surrender some, right? Because we don't fully surrender to God. And here's the truth. This is a point where it's complete and total, reckless, abandoned surrender. Lord, all of my life, not part, I'm not just surrendering Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Lord, I'm not just surrendering. The, I, Lord, I surrender my family to you, my life to you, my health to you, my every breath to you, my, all my finance, everything I have, Lord, it's yours. Complete and total, reckless, abandoned submission. And that's what this symbolizes for the Christian. Wouldn't you love to come back? Wouldn't you love when the Lord to come back and you're living that kind of life? Washed in the Word, anointed in His Spirit, clothed in, in His holiness, and laying at His feet, completely submitted to Him. And you know what, guys? There's no better place to be than that. You're not missing out on anything being fully submitted to God. You're missing out on, on, on hangovers and throwing up and crashing your car. That's what you're missing out on. You're not missing out on the fruit of the Holy Spirit or the joy that comes from walking with God. As believers, we can rest in submission, trusting that God is in control and He will direct our lives the way that they need to be. Resting in Him, we don't even have to fully understand to do it. Matter of fact, that's the best time to do it. Amen? Sometimes you go, I don't get, what is God doing? I have people ask me that. They'll give me the circumstances. What does God do? And I'll say, I got me. I don't know. But I know this. He knows. Amen? And it doesn't matter if I know or you know. What matters is that He knows. And because He knows, we don't have to know. Amen? We just trust Him and follow Him and again do it with reckless abandon. Know that He's faithful. So she tells her, go and lie down and, and you know, uncover His feet and lay at His feet. And hear what he has to say. Verse 5, and she said, all that you say to me, I will do. Now she doesn't, I, you know, this is the heart of a submitted woman. How many questions does she ask? Zero. Well, wait a minute, I don't know. Boaz is kind of old. You got a son, maybe? You know what I mean? She, 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 doesn't say, she doesn't say, what do you mean lay down at his feet? What, what do you, you know, come on now. I'm a, I'm a working woman who's out there in the world, man. I've been providing for you. What do you mean, submit to a man? I'm not doing that. Taking somebody's name? I'm not doing that either. No, she doesn't do any of that. She hears Naomi's heart. She's a submitted woman, and she said, what you've said, I'll do. You know what? I, I can think of you things that would bless our, our Heavenly Father more than for believers to respond to Him that way. Lord, what you say, I'll do. 
Okay, Lord, you said it. That settles it for me. That's enough. You don't have to deb- I don't have to debate with God. You don't have to pr- By the way, how many times does God have to say something for it to be true? He really doesn't have to say it any time. It's going to be true anyway. But if he says it once, we know it's true. And I, I am baffled by people who come arguing, well, it only says it in the Bible twice. Well, how many times has it got to say it? Well, it's only in there two times. Well, d- then that's twice as many as you need. Amen? It's in the Word of God. That's enough. All that you say, I will do. And you know who the ultimate example of this is? Jesus. Remember, he's in the garden. He's getting ready to go to the cross. Again, he's fully God and fully man. And he said, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me. He didn't want to go to the cross. He knew that it would not only be physical torment, but spiritual separation from the Father. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, that should be our heart. Jesus Christ is our example. And Ruth was going to approach Boaz just as Naomi had instructed. And I have an idea that Ruth didn't fully grasp all the meaning because she hadn't grown up in that culture. But she knew that was what was said, so she did it. And you know what? Lord, help us all to have that heart. May you and I come before our Redeemer just as He commands us. So, the wedding day approaches, point one, Ruth preparing to meet her Redeemer. She's washed, she's anointed, she's clothed, she's submitted. How do you and I prepare? We're washed by the Word, we're anointed by the Spirit, we're clothed in righteousness, and we're submitted to our Savior in every aspect of life. Number two, Ruth now completely submits to her Redeemer. Look at verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. Now this is a great verse. Because verse 5, she said she would do it, and verse 6, she actually did it. Now a lot of people get caught between verse 5 and 6. Oh yeah, Lord, I'll do it. And the verse, oh, well, not so much. And it's amazing how many people, you know, great things I'm going to do for God, and then it just never happens. And sometimes it's a simple thing I'm going to do for God, and it never happens. So verse 6 is a great verse, because she didn't just say it, she did it. Real submission, real faith requires more than just words, it requires action. Verse 7, and after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly. You know, I like that. I just like that. I think that's a great feminine attribute. She came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. She didn't come in there like a truck driver. You know what I mean? <laughs> didn't come in there, grab the blanket off of him. I'm supposed to lay down here. No, he told me. I get out of the way. You know, she didn't do that. She came in softly, right? Just a feminine thing. I like this. And she came in softly and she uncovered his feet and she laid down quietly next to him. Now imagine, she probably wanted him to wake up right away so she would hear the instructions, but she didn't do that. She went in there quietly, uncovered his feet. And again, nothing immoral was happening here. She simply lays at his feet. And again, I want to notice something here. There's about to be a covenant made between them and notice where it happens. It happens at the threshing floor. You see this often in Scripture, covenants being made at the threshing floor. David, remember David? He went to the, re- the, the uh, threshing floor, a man by the name of Ornan. He, tried to buy it. he said, I want to buy it from you that I might make a sacrifice. And the man named Ornan said, I will not sell you know, I'll give it to you. And David said, no way, I'm, you can't give it to me because I will not sacrifice that to God which costs me nothing. If it, if it doesn't cost me anything, it's not a sacrifice. It's also interesting that Gideon, when he was... He, you know, he too was at a threshing floor when he hid from the Midianites and the Lord showed up and met him at the threshing floor. The threshing floor where David went to, you know, make covenant with God is where the temple mount is today. So nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. Where does our growth come today? At the place of separation and sacrifice, because that's what a threshing floor was. It's where they separated the wheat from the chaff and where they made sacrifice. Where do we grow? In the place of separation and sacrifice. In the midst of thrashing and trials. It's an opportunity to grow and to testify of Him. Now, in context of the coming of our Redeemer, we are resting with Him. Now again, this is your pastor's opinion, All right. Notice she's resting with Him at the time that the wheat and the chaff are being separated. Ruth being a picture of the church, a picture of us. 
And she's resting with the Redeemer while the wheat and the chaff are being separated. She's resting with Him. I like that because I believe that's a picture of the tribulation. You know what? The church has been delivered, and now that heavy-duty time of the wheat and the chaff being separated again. Now, we know that that also can represent believers and unbelievers. All of us were wheat. But I also believe you're going to see it in the tribulation when many people will be saved, and many, again, will be gathered up you know, and tossed into the fire. And so, again, she's resting with him while the separation of the wheat and the chaff is taking place. Again, a picture of what our Savior does for us. So Ruth, the bride, is laying at his feet, And we are to bow at his feet in total submission. Now look what it says. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Well, I guess so. He's laying there sleeping, there to protect his harvest from potential thieves. Again, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. He didn't know if a thief was going to come along. And all of a sudden he wakes up, realizing someone's there. Have you ever been woken out of a deep, you know, you're sleeping, and then like someone comes into the room and it just, you know, makes your heart skip a beat? So you can imagine he's laying there, all of a sudden he senses someone's there. You know, I don't even know. Maybe his feet got cold because she uncovered him. I don't know. But he's laying there, and all of a sudden he realizes, I'm not alone. And he's startled. Again, in the darkness, unable to identify who it was immediately, he, he startled. Then he notices the form of a woman. Look what it says. It says, and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. Now, this is the last thing he would have ever expected. He goes to sleep protecting his grain. He wakes up and there's a woman lying at his feet. Now he realizes that's a place of submission, but he's not understanding what in the world is going on here. Why is this woman, I'm an old guy, why is this woman laying at my feet? I don't understand. Now, what first startled him would soon become an incredible blessing. And just as Ruth had never imagined such a blessing, I believe neither had Boaz. Ruth was just faithfully serving God, and I believe Boaz was just faithfully serving God. Neither one of them could have imagined God doing such a great thing for both of them. I'll tell you, what a blessing that is. When two people are just faithfully serving God, and then God supernaturally brings them together. That's how the Lord works. If we'll just let Him work, He can do that. Now now look what He says. He said to her, who are you? Again, it's dark. He can't see her. Who are you? And it says there, so she answered, I am Ruth, the Moabitess pagan. Is that what she says? (laughs) You know, previously, every time it talks about Ruth, it calls her, when it describes her, it calls her the Moabitess. This time, she's the maidservant. You know why? Because I believe she's already identifying herself as being the bride of Boaz, which would mean she's not a Moabitess anymore. She's now an Israelite. Guys, we're not sinners anymore and, and now we still sin but we're sinners saved by grace amen we're not the old man anymore we're not the heathen anymore we are saints now amen sanctified set apart born again and that's how we don't call ourselves you know unbelievers anymore we're christians we're followers of christ we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and now she calls herself your maidservant again a, a reference to her submission to him, but again, I believe a reflection on the fact that she no longer considers herself of Moab anymore. She's now of Israel. And then she says, look at this, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. This is a Hebrew way of asking for marriage. Because she says, in submission, basically, cover me. Put your robe over me. Take me under your wing." Now, in those days, a man's authority was, was recognized by the size of the hem in his garment that he wore. Remember when the woman with the issue of blood said, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, if I could just touch the hem, I know I'd be healed. If I could just touch his authority, have a touch of it, I'll be healed. And she's saying, you throw your authority over me. I want to be under your authority. I want to be under your wing. You know what I love is that there's room for all of us under the wing of our Savior. It says in the Word of God, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and His train filled the temple. I like that. And you know what? This kinsman, this Goel, this close relative, she said, you're a close relative. I just want you to throw your authority over me. I want to submit my life completely to you. Boy, that's a picture of us, the church, giving our lives to Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Lord, just throw your wing over me. Just clothe me in your, in your righteousness. Just put your authority over the top of me. And that's what she's asking. So Ruth preparing to meet her Redeemer. Now Ruth completely submitting to her Redeemer. And now Ruth listening to her Redeemer. Look at verse 10. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. You know what? He's pretty fired up about this. There's an exclamation point in there. You notice that? Apparently there's a considerable difference in their age. He still refers to her as daughter. But he probably considered himself to be someone who was too old to be attractive to her. And was blown away by seeing this this beautiful, virtuous, godly young woman who he had been watching and seen her character. And now she's coming to him, asking for him to be her redeemer. And he is blown away. He said, blessed are you of the Lord. And he says there, my daughter, for you have shown me kindness. The word kindness there can also be interpreted loyalty. She impressed him with her servant's heart and her work ethic, and now her loyalty that she didn't go after a younger man. Look what it says there. He says, and that you could go after young men, whether poor or rich. This tells me that I have an idea Ruth was not only young, but she was pretty. Because he said, you can have a younger man. And I'm, I'm blown away by your loyalty. I, that proves to me that I believe that he knew he was her, one of her potential kinsmen, right? He knew that, but he never thought it would happen because he was so old and she was so young. And yet she shows him this loyalty and this kindness when she could have been with a much younger man. Which shows me that Ruth was not as concerned about physical appearance as she was godly character. And that's an example for everybody, amen? You've heard it said that beauty's only skin deep, but ugly goes down to the bone. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's true. If you marry somebody solely for the physical, you're going to be disappointed. Amen? Better to live on a rooftop than in the house with a contentious woman. That's in Proverbs, right? And the truth is, you want a godly mate. And you know what? There's nothing more beautiful to me than someone in love with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Nothing. Nothing. Man looks on the outward appearance... And God looks on the heart. And those, so this shows me something else about Boaz, too. Because he could have probably demanded his right to be her kinsman. He could have just gone to her. But you know what? He didn't want to be her kinsman unless she wanted him to be her redeemer. And that's just like Jesus. Amen. You know what? He longs to be your redeemer, but he will never force himself on you. And he knows that you have other choices in life. Just like she could choose the young man or something else. Our God knows there are plenty of other choices out in the world for you to choose. But you know what? Our Creator treasures you. You are His treasured possession. You are the thing He values more than anything else on this planet or in this universe. And He wants intimate fellowship with you more than He wants anything else. And you know what? What a great and awesome God. And what a great and awesome picture we have here between Boaz and Ruth. The Redeemer and the redeemed the foreigner and the one who was willing to restore her what a great picture verse 11 and now my daughter do not fear i will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman now again when he describes her what does he describe about her her virtue bible says in proverbs 31 a virtuous woman who can find one her worth is far above rubies And the way that he says, I will do for you all that you request, it's written in a tone that it's not going to be a duty, but a joy. I'll do all that you request. You know, for the Lord, when we come to him and say, be my redeemer, it's not a duty for him, it's a joy for him to redeem us. It's a joy for him to adopt us into his family and for us to become one with him. The Lord is in love with you. He's not stuck with you. Amen? He's in love with you. He's not stuck with you. Though sinful, we are valuable to him. So Boaz was not talking about the person Ruth used to be, but the person she had become. He didn't say, oh, you're the pagan idolater. He said, you're a virtuous woman. I've seen you in the field. I've seen how you care for Naomi. I see how you lay down your lives for others. I know you've made that commitment to the God of Naomi. And you know what? You're a virtuous woman. And everybody knows it. She'd been there six weeks. What a testimony in six weeks. Amen? May we have that same testimony. And praise God that it's not who we were, sinners in need of Savior, but who we are, saints, 
saved by the blood of the Lamb. Now verse 13. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Uh Uh-oh. Now, there's a kinsman closer than I. Boaz could not exercise his right unless the closer redeemer rejected his rights towards Ruth. Now, what's interesting about this is Boaz was not really willing to cut corners. And I like that. Boaz said, God's law, God's rule, God's way, that's how we're doing it. And if God wants you and me to be together, then we'll be together doing things God's way. And we're not going to go around the corner. We're not going to slip behind it. And we're not going to... And I'm amazed how many people are looking for loopholes in the Bible to do what they want. And this happens a lot in marriage. I'm not fully divorced from the last one yet, but I'm going to... And I want to marry this one. And and no. And you shouldn't be. And go back to your wife. But yeah, but she... You don't understand. And this one... No. Go back to your wife. Well, why do you got to be like that? It's not... The Bible. Amen. And too often what you see is people trying to circumvent the word of God and contort it and praise God for Boaz's example to say, no, if God's for it, then God's hand will be on it and we're going God's way. And if God wants me to be married to you, then the closer redeemer will pass and I'll be able to marry you. And if it's not God's will, I don't want it anyway. And praise God for a man like Boaz and the example that he sets for every single one of us. (coughs) You know what? True faith doesn't have to take a shortcut. Amen? We don't have to take a shortcut. We don't have to force, you know, force God's hand. Jesus didn't avoid the law. He fulfilled it. Amen? And you and I should not avoid the word of God. We should go right through it, knowing that if it's God's will, His hand will be on it. She's, and He says, There is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if He will perform the duty of a close relative to you, good. Let Him do it. Again, He says, Hey, if this other relative will do it, then let Him do it. Good. But if he does not perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. So he says, as God, according to God, if, if, God, if he won't marry you, I will. And it will be a joy for me to do so. We're going to do things God's way, and I'm going to go find the man, and I'm going to ask him, and if, you know, if he'll take you good, and if not, I'll be happy to do it. So now she knows she's getting married. She just doesn't know to who. Now this is going to take a great deal of patience amen i'm getting married to who i don't know but it's going to be soon and i'll find out soon can you imagine if you did that to women to, man that'd be uh, not so much verse 14 so she lay at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize her then he said do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor now not because anything wrong is done but to avoid even the appearance of evil She received words of acceptance of who she was, a virtuous woman. She received words of assurance that God's will was going to be done and she was going to be redeemed. And we hear the heart of Boaz, and she goes away not knowing how the outcome would be, but this is a great lesson for her to go away and just trust God. Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And you know what? Every dad should want a man like Boaz for their daughter because here's this guy saying, I'll marry you if it's God's will. And if it's God's will, it'll be a joy to be married to you, and I will be a godly husband. And I will love you and minister to you and put my wing over you, and I will care for you. And that's the kind of woman, a man, every godly woman should want. Ruth now receives gifts from her Redeemer. Let's finish up. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. Now, the word shawl there could also be interpreted veil. And most commentators believe she was wearing a veil, so she was full up wedding dress. She was like ready to be married by the way is there anything more beautiful than a bride on her wedding day i don't think so a bride on her wedding day what a beautiful thing isn't it just the purity and the whole all the symbol it's just an awesome thing and here she comes and this is how she's ready to come to her redeemer you know clothed in this this purity i love it what a great picture so he says again this potential husband Even as a potential husband, he's going to care for her needs. Because look what he says. Bring your shawl that is on you and hold it. And she held it and he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. Notice that even though they're not even married and he's not even sure he's going to marry her, he he wants to make sure she's cared for. And this ought to be the heart of the man that is in a courting relationship. Amen? 
He's caring for her, and not only her, but for the needs of, the, uh, of Naomi as well. And you know what? This was like, in a sense, a gift for his future bride, potentially. And you know what? Our future groom gave us a gift, amen? And the gift he's given us is the Holy Spirit. Down payment on heaven, Holy Spirit living inside of us. Oh you've, oh, you've been born again. Okay, wait, I'm coming for you, but until then, let me give you something. Okay, this is so you know you're mine. Kind of like an engagement ring. I'm going to put it on your finger. Everybody will know you belong to me. Here you go, Holy Spirit. Right? And that's our down payment on heaven. That's our engagement ring. Amen? You know, when my wife wears her ring, everybody knows she's spoken for. Right? And when she looks down and sees it, it's a constant reminder to her of the commitment I've made to her. And you know, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we live like it. Everybody knows we're spoken for, and it's a constant reminder to us of the commitment that God's made to us. Amen? So here we have that same picture as he gives her a gift as she goes away. Then verse 16. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Now that's a poor translation. Because in Hebrew, it really says, Who are you, my daughter? Now why would you say, Who are you, my daughter? She wants to know, So are you getting married? So is it, is it you know, Ruth the Moabitess, or is it Mrs. Boaz coming back? (laughs) Who are you, my daughter? I want to know what happened. Now, I love, and again, this could be, I don't want to stretch the text, but some commentators said the fact that he gave her six ephahs was a representation of their six days of work, and he was going to work until he got it done. I'm going to go find out who that guy is. I'm not going to rest until it happens. There's going to be no rest. And here's the gift. And she goes back. Who are you, my daughter? Are you, you get, are you married? Are you the soon-to-be Mrs. Boaz? What's happening? And then it says, she says, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Again, here's a man that gets it. By the way, guys, this is a good lesson. You go to visit the girl that you're going to court, bring something from mom. Amen? Good lesson. Bring flowers for mom. First two times I went out with my wife, I brought flowers to her mom. That was brownie points, I'm telling you. Mom was like, who's this nice young man? You know what I mean? It just works. Okay, verse 18. Then she said, I'm married to her daughter. Now look what it says here. Then she said, sit still, my daughter until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. This is the last point. Ruth patiently waiting in anticipation of her redemption. She says, sit still. Is this the hardest counsel in the world to get? Sit still. Oh, I'd rather get run through the wall. Okay, I can do that. Sit still. Be patient. I want patience, but I want it right now. You know what I mean? And we have this, and just be still. Be still and know that I'm God, amen? Sit still, wait upon me. Again, the truth is, no matter how anxious she would have been, it wouldn't have helped anything. What if she'd gone around behind him? Have you talked to him yet? Have you talked to him yet? Can you imagine? Where's the guy? Let's go find him. What if I go up and kick him in the shins? He won't want me, okay? So let's make that happen. You know, Boaz, I really kind of like you. So how about if I go find that guy and just hit him with a mallet, and then you tell him it's me, he won't want me, okay? Let's do that. And you know, isn't that kind of how people try to do stuff with God sometimes? Try to contort things? I've heard people say to me, I just wish my spouse would commit adultery so I could divorce him and marry the person I really like. People say that. Then I'd be released. I'd be free. That's the, let me hit him in the head with a mallet, then he won't like me and I can marry you. She said, be still. Wait upon the Lord. Be still. Temptation to go find this closer relative and talk him out of it. Again, though an anxious time, she knew she would be married. She didn't even know to who, but she was to sit still and rest in the Lord. Ruth had taken action when instructed to take action, and now she was to wait when instructed to wait. When God says go, we need to go. Amen? And when God says wait and be still, we need to wait and be still. And we need to wait upon His voice to know the difference. So, times for us to take action as the Spirit's leads, and there's times for us to wait upon the Lord. So, in conclusion, we are the bride of Christ. We need to follow the example of Ruth. 
Remember that we are to wash ourselves in the water of the Word, anoint ourselves being filled with the Holy Spirit, being clothed in righteousness, lying in complete humility to our Savior at His feet. And you know what? I love this too. She couldn't see Boaz when she went and laid at His feet, but she could hear His voice. Amen? And we can't see our Savior yet, but we can hear His voice, can't we? And so, if you're a note-taker again, the final points were the wedding day approaches, living in light of the imminent return. Ruth preparing to meet her Redeemer. You and I preparing to meet our Redeemer. Being completely submitted to the Redeemer. Listening to the words of our Redeemer. Receiving gifts from our Redeemer. And then patiently waiting in anticipation of our our redemption. And you know what? That's where we're at today. Our redemption draweth nigh. Amen? It's drawing near. May we be ready when the Lord comes back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise